So I thought back to my childhood. I thought, what brought the family together was games. And so I thought, I wonder if I could make this a game and therefore learn the five love languages. You're listening to the Spiritual AF Sundays podcast, episode 44. More than playing with dice, an innovative approach to the role of love with guest Paul Zolman. You're listening to Spiritual AF Sundays, created and hosted by The Mystic Geek. If you're looking to explore intriguing questions about the meaning of life and our place in the universe, then you're in the right spot. We dive into topics often discussed as sound bites on social media and take a deeper look, whether it's woo topics like astrology and mysticism, or seemingly mundane matters like technology and politics, we cover it all. We explore our own thoughts and beliefs, talk to experts, and uncover hidden meanings. These fascinating areas of exploration can help us question ourselves and better understand our world. Ready to grow and explore in your spiritual journey? We're glad you can join us. It's time to start your week off by being spiritual AF. Hello, friends, fellow mystics, and spiritual rebels. This is Jessica, the Mystic Geek, coming to you with yet another perspective on this Spiritual AF Sundays podcast. Back in high school youth group, I remember reading The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. For those who aren't familiar, Chapman is a marriage counselor, and through his work, he theorized that there are five ways that we express and receive love. Through quality time, acts of service, words of affirmation, receiving gifts, and physical touch. When you express your love for someone through their love language, they're more likely to see what you're doing as loving. For instance, my main love language is acts of service. My husband can give me gifts or tell me how much he loves me, and that's good. But I'm seriously over the moon when he does the dishes, cleans the cat box, or runs errands without me telling him to do so. Likewise, his love language is words of affirmation. I can cuddle him, grab him a bag of pistachios, or make sure the laundry is ready for him, and he likes that. But he is so happy when I tell him that he's amazing and that I love him so much. The thing is, it took us years of trial and error to figure things out. Plus, I'll admit that the two of us came from stable families where we learned about the different ways that love can be expressed. So the concept of love languages felt intuitive. But what about those who might not have been as fortunate? That's what this discussion is going to be about. First, let me share a little bit about today's guest. Paul Zolman is the international best-selling author of The Role of Love, and you can find out more about Paul through his website, roleoflove.com, and that's role as in R-O-L-E. I had an engaging discussion with Paul about his own life and the challenges that he faced in understanding love, even after reading Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages. We then discussed the way that Paul figured out how to learn the five love languages on his own and how he created a tool for others to do so easily. Finally, we're going to talk about the impact that Paul's work has had in making his own community more loving and how he's shaping the next generation to learn how to give and receive love. 
It's time to grab your favorite beverage, sit in your favorite chair, and get ready for this exciting discussion. And welcome back, listeners. We have Paul Zolman with us to talk about how to reframe the five love languages. Paul, we're so glad to have you here today. Thank you, Jessica. Glad to be here. All right. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? I grew up in a a family of abuse and kind of learned the wrong thing to do first. And a lot of people learn the right thing to do, and then they do the wrong thing. But I did the wrong thing first, and then did the right thing. So it had things backwards, and such has been my life. From that child abuse, I found myself having a lot of residual anger into my adulthood. And what that looked like, Jessica, was that I'd be annoyed at something somebody else did. And with that annoyance, I packed another annoyance on of some sort, another one, until I flashed. And then it'd just be an angry flash and it could be happened. Just, it was almost a knee-jerk reaction. And heaven forbid it was a child or somebody like that. But a lot of times it did fall within the family structure, in which I'm very regretful about that. But it was just a situation that I did not want to have. But I found myself that if I made a negative statement, like I don't want to be angry anymore, it did really manifest into a positive thing. I think people think that if they're saying something negative, that somehow magically that two negatives will make a positive like they do in math. It doesn't work that way. It absolutely doesn't work. So I, I had to start figuring out a more positive way, maybe even a replacement behavior for that anger. This came into focus probably about 15 years ago when my first marriage ended, partly because of my anger issues, partly because of, of some other things. But it would just ended after 23 and a half years. And so I was by myself, and I was living in Phoenix at the time. My sister lived about seven hours away, and she called me and said, I have a neighbor I want to introduce to you. Why would I travel seven hours for love? I had just come off being single for a while, about a year and a half. I went and uh, had done some destination dating. And as I went to all these different places, like I went to Daytona Beach and Jacksonville, Florida, and Columbia, South Carolina. Charlotte, North Carolina, New York City, Nashville, Kansas City, Phoenix, Las Vegas, Salt Lake City, Cabo San Lucas, a lot of these different cities that I'd gone to for a date. And I felt like the song, Jessica, looking for love in all the wrong places. And it was just not working out for me. Nothing ever amounted, it didn't amount to anything. I'm living in Phoenix after all this time, and I just told my sister, she's an older sister, I'm number 10 of 11 children. And you can't really talk back to your older brothers and sisters because there's a lot of them. And there's like a gang that could just gang up on you. So you just can't talk back when you're on the young, younger side. So I said, I've just finished Destination Data. I don't want to do it. She said, oh, come on. Just forcing her, her will on me. And, then, and I said, all right. Now just half-heartedly, so I'll, I'll email her. So I started emailing her and just really low-level dating of any sort. No, who, who emails these days anyway? It was just ridiculous. So I started emailing. They didn't have any expectation, but the emailing was really fun. She had a great personality and a great writer, and it was just fun anticipating her email. And so we started developing a relationship like that. And it got to the point that you know, I wanted to visit with her and just see what this person was like. She had that type of laughter that's infectious, that when you hear somebody laughing like that, you want to laugh too, because it's, it's like, I want to catch that. And you just catch that disease, that laughter disease. It's like viral that you want to laugh too. And she had that kind of laugh. And so it was just 
really kind of a fun relationship. So we started developing that relationship and got to the point that I was, I moved up to where my sister lived instead of living in Phoenix. After I did that, the relationship blossomed a little bit more. Now it's time for big brother approval. So I take this neighbor up to my brother, 300 miles north. And the first thing that happens when I go in the door is that my sister-in-law pulls her aside and said, the only emotion that the Zolman family learned growing up was anger. At first I said, oh, uh, denied it. Then it made me mad. I thought, huh, she nailed it. At that moment, I thought, if that's the perception that outsiders like an in-law or any others would have of the Zolman family, I needed to change that perception right here and now. So I started reading the color code and then I, then I started reading the five love languages and I really settled on the principles of the five love languages because I thought that they, they were sound. I, I really liked the philosophy of the five love languages, but I did not get the application that Dr. Chapman was, was offering. He said that, well, if I guess what love language you are, Jessica, and I cater to that, we're going to be buddies. I'm a head guesser. It's not going to happen. Don't guess very well. So that didn't work. It just didn't work. So the second thing that Dr. Chapman has is, well, if you take this survey, I could find out what my love language is. What am I supposed to do with that, Jessica? Advertise? Hello, I'm Gifts. What do you have for me today? That's just so awkward. It almost makes it duty-bound that if I tell you what my love language is and you don't send it, you're gonna, I'm going to get this whiny voice in. I told you how to love me. How come you're not doing it? And you get this little pity party going, and I, that did not sound like love to me either. But who am I to say what love was from where I came from? But those did not sound like love. So I thought back to my childhood. I thought, what brought the family together were the games. That when we played games together, even though we're just, we're having the smack talk and everything else, it felt more like love. It felt like a cohesive type of environment. And so I thought, I wonder if I could make this a game and therefore learn the five love languages. Keep in mind, though, that after reading the book, The Five Love Language, four or five times, if a million dollars was on the line, I could not have spit out all five love languages, tell you what they were, just because it didn't go in me, it didn't go through me. It just, I just didn't, I didn't retain it for some reason or other, just because I couldn't figure it out. Was I supposed to send it out or was I supposed to receive it? Or it's just the, the direction was just, I was confused about the direction. I'm the only one that got confused about the direction because of where I came from. I just didn't understand the love directions anyway, because I came from abuse. So I contacted Dr. Chapman, asked him if he was licensing those icons, those little pictures that they had for each one of the love languages. And his attorney wrote back and said, no, we're not doing that. And I said, well, I've got an attorney here. Let me see what I can do. I found out from my copyright attorney that theory is not copyrightable. So the love language theory is not copyrightable. Application is. So the application that I want to do was make it a game. So what I did was I made my little icons and then I put, I put it on the die. So they're on the die right now. I'm showing service. Those are the words. There's time. There's touch. And then the gifts. Five love languages, six sides on the dice. The sixth side is what I call surprise me. So on that surprise me day, what you're doing is just random acts of kindness, or you get it's like dealer's choice. You can pick and choose what love language you want to send out that day. But there's just two instructions, Jessica. You roll the die every day, 
that's the love language you practice giving away all day that day, all day. It's not like I did the dishes, ooh, I'm done. It's not like that at all. It's not an event. It's a whole process. And the, the reason it's like that and the reason I created it like that is because I was single at the time. I didn't have a significant other, as, as Dr. Chapman suggests, did not have a significant other to practice these love languages too. So I had to send it out to everybody. And I was really glad for that opportunity because it planted in my mind to see that, well, I don't want a part-time job and I don't want to be loving just part-time. I want to do it all time. I want it to be part of my character. I want it to be part of my personality. That's who I am. I didn't want it to be just a part-time gig. And so I thought that, that it would work very well. You send it out all day long, and then the next day it'll be different. The next day it'll be different. Over a 30-day period, you will have given away all five love languages so that you know them backwards and forwards. One of the best parts about that is that when it comes back your way, you can see it. You've got the peripheral vision to see it and you can respond appropriately. Most people only see what they think their primary love language is, and they only see that as love. Everything else is nice, or it's kind, but it's maybe not love. It's not what they perceive as love. But when you know all five love languages, and you say, oh, they're loving on me, it's not my primary love language, but I, I can see they're loving on me, you still can respond to that, that sending out of love. So that's how it came to be. I like both the simplicity and the profoundness of your method because by expressing those five love languages, you're learning those languages so you can see it when it's brought back to you. Oftentimes what happens is we give, but we don't know how to receive. Mm-hmm. But that's because we're not aware of how others express and how they give. But yeah, I have to say that's a remarkable method that you've set up. Beyond your own personal life, what success have you seen with the use of this new way of expressing and understanding the five love languages? Great question, Jessica. I wanted to test kind of the veracity of it for different ages, too. So I tested with families, I tested with couples and that sort of thing. And I found that families do, do really well with this. There was a family of five children. The youngest was four years old, a boy, and he had older brothers and one older sister, I think. And then one day he wrote physical touch and at four years old, he's jumping up and down, pumping his fist, saying, yes, physical touch, physical touch. And immediately he goes and beats up on his brothers. Not quite the way of doing it. Well, his mother had to suppress the laughter just long enough to say, son, this is the appropriate physical touch. But you can imagine that previous to the role of love, previous to role of the die, that his brothers would probably beat up on him. And he thought that was love. He thought that's just what brothers do. You can compare it almost to puppies. They're swatting at each other and they're growling around and they're moving around and that's what they do. That's what boys do. And that's what he thought was love. And so the mother it became a teaching moment, not only for Jonathan, not only for the four-year-old, but for the other older brothers as well. That They, they were listening in on what was appropriate physical touch. Great teaching moments are opened up by, by the die. As speaking of teaching moments, another success story is that in a school system, in a classroom situation, if the roll the die at the beginning of the day it takes two seconds, the teacher then can explain for maybe 30 seconds, doesn't take much out of their day at all. But for that small investment, 
it'll tamp down a lot of misbehaving within the classroom. And so the teacher says, this is what we're looking for classes. They, this is the kind of behavior that we're watching for. And so at the end of the day, what I've developed is a put together a journal page that says what they rolled, what opportunities they saw, the love in that way, and then what they did about those opportunities. So in essence, what's happening, Jessica, is that these children, I'm talking mostly primary age, uh, K through six, maybe, these children are learning how to be accountable for themselves, for their actions at a very young age. In addition to that, at the end of the day, they're taking that 10 to 15 minutes that's usually non-productive time. The kids are antsy. They've been there all day. They know the bell's going to ring. There's just non-productive time at the end of the day. So they're taking that non-productive time, having the class write what we rolled as a class at the beginning of the day, what opportunities did we see to love in that way, and what did we do about it. becomes a love journal for that child. The teacher doesn't have to keep them all minded at the end of the year. Just send it home, just a, a pass-fail check, check that they did it. And if they do it for, in my area, if they do it for 15 days, I've got a, a yogurt land franchisee that is going to give them five ounces of yogurt for free. If they'll do it for 25 days, he'll give them 10 ounces of, of yogurt for free. And so there's a little incentive for them to keep up. The whole idea, Jessica, is to have them learn to develop a habit of, number one, being responsible. But number two, just be loving all day long and, and then record what you did about it. I would have absolutely loved to have a love journal for myself from first grade or second grade. I remember my first grade teacher, Mrs. Rogers, how kind she was. But I would have loved to be able to retain more details about why did I love Mrs. Rogers? What was it that made her so kind to all the children? What was it that made her stand out in my mind except that she was my first grade teacher? And I just remember those days, I would have loved to have a love journal about that. So every day you send home that love journal with the child after it's been checked out, and then the parents keep it. At the end of the year, you have a journal, a love journal from first grade. That's amazing. And if we were to able to have that widespread as a practice, just imagine the type of societal change we could see occur in a generation from our youth growing up, having more empathy and having greater awareness of how to understand and work through their own emotions. Absolutely. Jessica, it took me until age 35 to realize that I was responsible for my own actions because before that I was blaming my dad. If anything bad happened in relationships, my dad's fault. If any social awkwardness was there, it was my dad's fault. And at age 35, my father had died seven years earlier. So even though he wasn't even there, I was still blaming him until I woke up that one day and said, oh, I'm responsible for all stuff. I was 35 years old. If they can do it at six years old or seven years old or 10 years old, they can do it at an early age like that and take that responsibility. Oh, I'm responsible for my own actions and, and accountable for my own actions. I think that you're absolutely right that the society is going to change within a generation. We could turn things around. Again, that is amazing. And thank you so much, Paul, for being here and everything that you're doing and what you shared with us today on integrating the five love languages into your everyday life. What other guidance do you have for us before we go? 
There's just one, one thing that I'd like to leave you with, Jessica, and that's in yoga class. At the end of the yoga class, the instructor will put their hands together like this, and they'll say namaste. And namaste is, is Sanskrit. It's a Northern India dialect of Sanskrit that we get the word nirvana from. We get the word karma from. But namaste, the Hindu interpretation of namaste means the God in me sees the God in you, or the divine in me sees the divine in you. And that's what this dice is all about. We're watching for what's good about people. What can I love about people? We're never going down that path that says what's wrong with them. We're that critical path that will go down toward judgment. We're staying in our lane. We're just, all we're doing is sending love out, watching for what's right about people. I think that if we turn our society, fine tune the society to that level, that we're going to be a whole lot happier. We're not going to be honking the horn as much where we're staying in our own lane. I agree with you on that. Paul, where can people find you online? They can find me at rolloflove.com, and it's kind of a play on words. R-O-L-L is rolling the die, and that's outside of you. Changing, change within is R-O-L-E, the roll within, R-O-L-E of love.com. That's where they can find me. They can find the book, you can find the journal, you can find the dice right there. If your listeners are more interested in listening to the book, They'll have to go to Amazon to get that. The Audible is available on Amazon. Instead of typing in Roll of Love, they'll want to type in my name, Paul Zolman. Uh, if they type in Roll of Love, they'll get Love This, Love That, Love A Million Things. They're not going to find it. It's going to be a needle in the haystack. So type in Paul Zolman. It'll take you right to Roll of Love, and you can order the Audible version there. Got it. And we'll make sure to include that in the show notes as well. Again, Paul, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Jessica. It's been a pleasure. What an engaging discussion. Let's recap. Paul shared that because of his own upbringing, it was hard for him to fully understand the five love languages as defined by the counselor, Gary Chapman. He found that the teaching was too prescriptive and clinical, meaning that it felt like there was like a right way and a wrong way of expressing love to someone. Paul wanted to find a way for him to learn to express love to others without worrying if he was guessing the wrong love language. So Paul tried expressing all love languages to everyone. He created dice with each love language on one side of the die and the sixth side being the wild card. He'd roll the die and whatever side it landed on, that was the love language he focused on that day. This led him to learning all five love languages, both how to give and how to receive. Rather than focusing on the one or two love languages he's inclined towards, he can now see when someone is trying to express love in their own language. Finally, Paul shared his experience in testing this system with others and the amazing ways that this system can be used, along with journaling, to teach children the multitude of ways that we can express love. This has the potential to change an entire generation to be more empathetic and loving. If you want to follow up with Paul and check in on his work and what he does, here's his website again, rolloflove.com, with role being spelled R-O-L-E. He is also on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube at Roll of Love Dice. Again, role being spelled R-O-L-E. Do you know someone who would be interested in learning how to understand the five love languages in a new and fun way? I'd love for you to share this episode with them. 
That's going to wrap up this week's episode of Spiritual AF Sundays. And remember, there are many ways that we can express and receive love. Dr. Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, is meant to be a framework to help us understand our own brains and how others work when it comes to love. But sometimes we take systems like this and overthink them as ways to tell us what we should or should not do. It's more about building awareness and therefore empathy than coming up with a list of right versus wrong ways to do things. When we gain greater awareness of how our minds and how the minds of others work, we're in a better place to connect with others and the world around us. That's all for now. Have a spiritual AF week. Thank you for joining us for Spiritual AF Sundays. This show is hosted by the Mystic Geek, that's me. Got comments or questions from today's episode? You can either email me at jess at themysticgeek.com or send me a voice message at speakpipe.com slash themysticgeek. Don't worry, I'll put the link in the show notes. Help others start off their week with a spiritual AF Sunday by sharing this episode with them. Also, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts help spiritual seekers find our show. So do the thing. <laughs>